Hello and welcome to another episode of Borrowed Knowledge, a podcast where two friends and DMs practice their gift to gab and share opinions and insight on D&D, wargaming, and RPGs as a whole. So sit back, roll for perception, and borrow some knowledge from Duncan and Tristan. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Borrowed Knowledge. I am your host Tristan, joined not today by Duncan, but by my friend William Keller. How you doing today, Will? Hello. Hey, doing all right. How about yourself? Great, great. Will and I uh, met through Dunder Call Classics. We're both um, trainers, I guess, for the demo nights that they run. Um, but he and I met through, oh gosh, that was what, three years ago now? Was it CyclopsCon, the first CyclopsCon? Yeah, it was a second CyclopsCon, I think, which is a, a, an online con that uh, Goodman Games runs to basically keep all the people going and, and interact with people during covid which was a big blast but will was the first person that ran dcc for me Woohoo! <laughs> so will what's kind of your rpg background and, and how long and what kind of stuff have you been playing during that time oh my gosh so i got started 1984 ish um and uh this was during the satanic panic i was absolutely forbidden to play D, which all my friends were playing <laughs> so i got started with traveler uh which is a, a science fiction role-playing game and then my second nice. game ever was was middle earth role-playing which i think kind of feeds right into the the topic tonight but yeah definitely i have i have ever since then i've been i've been playing a little bit of everything um you know for a long time and a and a lot of games Definitely, and I think this is a weighted question, but what would you say is your favorite system at this time? Oh, wait, I know the answer to this. What am I saying? Favorite system at the time? I don't know, actually. You, oh, you I, thought you were gonna say, I thought you were going to say Eclipse Phase, because I tell you talk, no, you're no, talk I, about you that. No, 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 yeah, I, I, I joke about that. I tell people that Eclipse Phase is my number one favorite setting and my 12th favorite system. <laughs> what so up? it's... It's Wait. it's clunky. It's fun, but it's 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 a little clunky. It's a little. I mean, and I think cyberpunk games kind of have to be. They're sort of implicit of in the setting, but yeah, definitely. What's the what's the premise of Eclipse Phase for people who don't know? Oh, so Eclipse Phase is sort of nearish future transhumanist horror. So if you if you take, I, I told people if you if you imagine altered carbon, uh, plus the expanse, plus a little bit of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, uh, that that's what you'll get. So it, you know the the big draw there is that your your mind can be digitized and uploaded into different bodies, which they call morphs, um, or it can be you know just completely digitized and running on a computer. But that's kind of the cool thing is if you're going to go off on a mission, you know that you know it's going to have a lot of combat. You download your brain into a, a combat morph, and now you're the big burly combat brick for that session. But if you need to do a mission where it's more thinking and and Science, you can download your morph or your your mind into a a, a minton, a, a a smart morph, a big brain morph. Um, dying is like really kind of hard to do because if you get shot up, people can just reload you from backup into a new body. Interesting. But because it's a horror game, there's actually worse things than death. So perfect. What's the uh, what is the orca morph? Isn't there like an orca in that or something? There is, yeah. There's a whole (laughs) bunch of uplifted animals. There's, yeah, there's all kinds of cetaceans and and octopuses are the the ones that people really like to to jump into. There's uplifted um, uh, hominids. Um, Yeah, it's it's all kinds of fun. That's awesome. 
So our, our main topic, as Will alluded to earlier, is we're going to be talking about intellectual property IPs, both as a system versus as a source book, and kind of what we think is better or worse, the pros and cons of all of those. And uh, so I, I say we jump right on into it. Borrowed knowledge. So, Will, you have quite a bit of experience with the IP-based systems, right? At least with, you know, our, our favorite system or our favorite publisher on this podcast, Free League, but... Free League! What kind of yeah. uh, what kind of ones have you run in the past from them or from anybody in general, I guess? Oh, gosh. So, yeah, so working backwards, I've got all the Free League stuff. So I've got Alien and the One Ring and Blade Runner. So those are kind of awesome. Um, and like I said, I got my start with, with Middle-Earth role-playing way back when Iron Crown did it. Um, I've done a, a fairly long campaign of uh, Star Wars. Nice. I've done. Uh, a lot of people don't think of like Call of Cthulhu as being, you know, oh, IP, but it. But that's it a good is. point. Yeah. So I've done a bunch I of. Uh, that. Yeah, I've done a bunch of Cthulhu back in the day. Um, I did for a while. I was super heavy into the uh, the Marvel heroic role playing that uh, Margaret Weiss put out. Uh, that was right around the time the first Avengers movie came out, so everybody was all excited about Marvel. Um, That's sick. Yeah. I didn't even know they they did one. You you definitely have more experience with the IP based ones. I kind of tend to or tend to stay away from them. Um, just like personally, I like to if I'm running something, I'm usually running it in my own stuff. But through you, I've kind of gotten a lot of exposure through as a player rather than like actually running the systems which has been nice so i guess it uh, oh oh, sorry go ahead no no no, go ahead you're fine well i was just gonna say it's it there's pros and cons to you know to the decision to do an ip like like for instance everyone knows star wars if you say i'm gonna run star wars like half of the of the effort of lifting up a game is is already gone because people know the background they know the races they know what a jedi is you know, at that point, you're just explaining the the mechanical bits. If if you go with something like Eclipse Phase, you you have to start off by establishing the <laughs> world, and then you layer the system on top of it. So it's it's you know the the IP stuff is kind of nice where you can say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run Firefly. If you haven't watched the TV show, go watch the TV show. Come back and and you know we'll go from there. Of course, yeah, I think that's a good point. And the the thing that I like about the Star Wars one specifically is. There are, it's almost like there's multiple RPGs in Star Wars because they've got, you know, Edge of the Empire, the like, the, I'm blanking on the one that's during the Clone Wars, but like, they've got it split up. So even if your players, you know, are perfectionists or purists, I should say, and super into only one segment of Star Wars, you can still do that and you don't have to worry about any of the rest, which is pretty nice. Right. But I mean, just to go back, rewind a little bit, IPs are basically intellectual properties, movies, books, anything like that, that um, people have then turned into RPGs. And kind of the main topic discussion for the day is how to do that. Should you make a completely new system to play around with those RPGs or, or uh, those IPs? Or should you kind of just make a source book and then let people fit it into whatever system they want to use? So I guess right off the top of the bat, what is your your kind of preconceived uh, opinion on this, Will? So um, let's talk let's talk Middle Earth. 
Okay. So when, when I when I got started with Middle Earth role playing, that was layered onto the Rollmaster system from Iron Crown, which is a, a fairly clunky, uh, rules heavy fantasy system, kind of a generic fantasy system. Right. And even as a you know as a dumb fourteen year old kid, I could tell that using Rollmaster, you could do things in Middle Earth that were not true to the fiction. You know, this you can true. have halflings throwing fireballs which is just not a Middle-earth thing. Right. Contrast that with The One Ring, which I think does a brilliant job of modeling not just the world, but the sort of the feel of the fiction. You have the, the journey segments and the council segments, and nobody's throwing fireballs there. You can't play a wizard in The One Ring. You can play an elf who has magic, uh, but, but, but there's no fireballs. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of when a system goes out of their way to sort of tailor themselves specifically to the setting because I think it makes for a, a better game. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, too, using the One Ring because it's it's kind of perfectly timed that they also put out the 5th edition one, it's not like you're playing 5th edition with the classes that are in 5th edition and you're just, like, you know, playing in Middle Earth. It's basically they're using the... SRD, which stands for Standard Reference Document, is that right? System Reference Document. System Reference Document, that's right. Yeah, you're, they're basically using the SRD to take care of the mechanical portion of things, but you still have a lot of the stuff that Will is talking about they tacked on, where it's like, you know, the different phases that you go through in the One Ring that are supposed to mimic the storyline of Lord of the Rings. They still have all those things in there. They're basically just letting... 5th edition do kind of the heavy lifting of doing the system itself, which works out. That's, uh, One Ring is kind of like, it's like a weird hybrid of being a source book and a system at the same time, because they, they don't fully go one way or another until they do their own RPG, uh, which is pretty interesting. But before we get too far into Free League, I think that there's one that we should probably talk about right up top, because I'm sure everybody has heard of it, and that's the, the Avatar... Uh, role-playing game because it currently is still the highest grossing uh, Kickstarter for RPGs, I believe. I checked that earlier today. Um, it's by Magpie Games and it uses Powered by the Apocalypse rule set. Will, I've never used that. Can you give a just a TLDR for our listeners? Yeah, so it's based off of a game called Apocaly Apocalypse World by, by Vincent and Meg Baker and it's a very narrative um very high level um, uh, type system. So, and, and then what they did is they, they made Apocalypse World and then a couple guys um, added their own sort of fantasy elements to it and called it Dungeon World and that sort of kicked the doors open and now, you know, the, the bakers make it free to use their, it's not even really a system, it's more like, like some design choices. But gotcha. they make it easy to use these design choices and now there's I think hundreds of games now that are powered by the apocalypse. Um, That's pretty sick. My my favorite is Monster of the Week, which is uh, sort of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Supernatural meets X Files. Uh, is a ton of fun. I've also had a lot of fun with one called Passion de las Pasiones, Ooh. which is a it's a game built around Mexican telenovelas. Like Ooh. everyone, every character is a character on this show, but the show is is real. You know, you're not. 
it's 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 life if the telenovelas were real. I guess is what it's saying. So it's great. heavy, really heavy fun. into romance, heavy into melodrama. It's it's just ridiculous. But it was so much <laughs> fun. That some of the some of the best role playing I've ever done has been in that game. That's perfect. I think that's that's interesting that you kind of specified that it's more design choices because that kind of primes it very well. Where I was like reading and looking into the Avatar RPG and. Basically, they try to stay very, very close, not only to the fictional choices, but also what people know about the show. Like, Avatar is very well known for having great story development, great backstories, believable characters, and stuff like that. And it seems like they've really put a ton of time into helping the player generate that on their own. While still, like, instead of just being like, oh, you rolled a random table, you rolled a random table, and now you've got your backstory, it's like... It kind of helps you through more of the uh, creative writing processes and does that heavy lifting for you, which is pretty sick. And I, I, I like that method of doing it, where it's not just like, okay, we've got to, we've got this, you know, campaign world we want to play in. Here's all the information about the campaign world, and like, here's some bullshit system that we kind of made up to let you play in that system. It's like, no, they're they're pulling in. That you can tell they really cared about the show and the, the people who wrote it, which is good. Well, the nice thing about basing it on Apocalypse World is you, you sort of have a built-in audience of people that already know that system. I mean, there's, there's like I said, 100 games that, that use it. So it's a well-known, um, you know, it's a well-known commodity. Uh, Magpie has done a bunch of, of uh, Apocalypse World-based games. This is just their biggest one. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a really good point about, you know, uh, making yours more of a... I kind of call this a little bit more on the setting side than on the like rule set side of, of like making your own rule set for your game because I kind of see this as the right way to do it and that um, there is already a, a fan base who likes that system means that you, like you said, that's a big pro because you're already coming in with people who know how to play and you don't have to waste time with your group doing that. You can just be like, hey, let's try the Avatar RPG. It's like already what we're playing, but like we can go have fun in, in the Avatar world kind of thing. I think that's a, a big pro to doing it this way. Now, is that game out yet or is it still in development? I believe it is close to coming out. I actually did not check that. I know some people got kind of early review copies so that they were able to go through it and play stuff and, and go through like that and that was some of the stuff that I read on the actual book itself. Now I'm I feel one of like those it's... weirdos that have I, I know nothing about Avatar. I haven't seen the movie. I don't I don't know um, you know I was kidding. Well the movies I mean yeah please never watch no, the I, movie. I, yeah no I really <laughs> haven't seen the movie but I know that yeah that's a yeah. Um I I've never seen the show. I I know very, very little about it. Yeah of course. Well, it's okay, because, you know, the next thing in my notes to talk about is something that you know way too much about, and that's the Alien RPG. Dun, 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 dun. And the best movie, Prometheus. Ugh. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty movie. It was definitely gorgeous, but <laughs> so dumb. But I guess, so now we've played quite a few freely games together at this point. We know that Alien is based on kind of some recurring rules choices that, that Free League makes across a lot of their games, heavy on the D6s, but I'd say that they kind of build, they do a good job of like taking the core just D6 mechanic and building onto it for Alien in some really fun ways. I mean, you've run it more. Do you have anything you want to say about it? 
I, you know, there's something about the way that that system works that sort of like the one ring, how with the one ring, they're trying very hard to match the feel of the source material. Alien fits the feel of the of the movies really, really well. I know that there are other games out there that can do the same thing. Mothership is a is a pretty popular one. For some right. reason, Mothership never really resonated with me. Um, it doesn't feel like Aliens, but right. the Alien RPG just it feels like it. It's it's there's something about it that that's really really neat, and I I like a lot of the design choices that they made. Yeah, that was. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually something I had in my notes to talk about. Was why not just use Mothership or why not use another one of these horror-based systems or Traveler, like you were brought up. Yeah. But I think you you kind of nailed it. Where Alien movies, they have like they have themes running throughout it, and especially with the uh, oh, what are they called? The cinematic. Yeah, adventures. The, the cinematic scenarios. Yeah, cinematic scenarios. Like they really try to to nail that. Something that I will say that I've heard and that I kind of was thinking about with it as well is that the long-term playability. Like, I enjoyed the campaign portion of this. I don't necessarily know that I would want to have a character go through anything long-term with that. And I think you've talked about that before when we've played. Uh, so do you want to you give your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, I, I, I don't think you could do a, a campaign with Xenomorphs. You know, right. one of two things is going to happen. Your character is just going to get eaten or the the horror the thing that makes the xenomorphs unique and interesting will get blunted and boring right um i think you could do you know they're they've got the colonial marines uh expansion or uh i guess it's a book not an expansion there and there's a there's one coming for colonists and i could see maybe a colonist campaign where you end up on some backwater world somewhere and you're trying to you know, keep things going. You could have lots of adventures that are not necessarily alien related, but then is it really alien? You know, exactly. are you not playing yeah. traveler at that point? Right. Yeah. That's, I think that this is one where I'm kind of conflicted on it because I'm very glad that it exists because I love playing through their cinematic ones, but it's also one where it's like, all right, well, we finished all the cinematic ones, like book shut, going on my shelf kind of thing. And, and, I'm a little bit kind of, like I said, conflicted on there. Yeah. But do you want to talk a little bit about the Blade Runner one? Because I, that's actually an IP I know nothing about, so I can't talk really at all on there. When uh, when Free League announced that they were doing a Blade Runner game, I thought they had jumped the shark. I, I thought this was the, the, the end. Um, there's another company that I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit that that I was afraid that Free League was, was sort of following in their footsteps. And I, I, was, um, I was skeptical that Blade Runner would be any good, and I was wrong, 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 and it's, <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, it's sort of a, it's a near, it's called Neon Noir, so it's sort of that noir feel, but it's, it, it's not as, as cyber as cyberpunk, and it's not as, as noir as, you know, regular noir. It, it fits this sort of uh, mid-space. But they did so much work fleshing out the setting, and you're a little more constrained in that game. So everyone starts off as members of the LAPD Replicant Detection Division. And so you don't have missions, you have cases. 
And so you get assigned a case and it's something, you know, one way or the other involved with replicants. And so it might be helping the replicant, it might be going after them and gunning them down, but it's always kind of around the replicant. Um, and I think by focusing on that, that very narrow part of the setting, they've made something really, really good. If they made it a generic role-playing game where you could play a ganger or you could play an executive or, you know, you could do all of these different things, it would have really sort of diffused the, the focus of the game to the point where it's, right. it's just a generic sci-fi game. But by, by focusing on the police and the police interaction with replicants, I think they've yeah. made something really special. It's pretty neat. Yeah, that sounds really, really interesting. How easy would it be to kind of make your own case stuff for them? Um, they're a little bit like the cinematics from Aliens. So the yeah. game, the starter set comes with one case. Uh, they just announced in the news the other day that they've got the next two cases are, um, they should be out this year. Cool. But they work like the cinematics. They're going to come with uh, a lot of detail, a lot of background. Uh, it sounds like these new ones are going to have, it's going to be a box full of props. So you'll get like pictures oh. that you can enhance, enhance, enhance. Um, they're, they're really making an effort to, to focus on the, the, the story side of it, not so much the, That's the cool. mechanical side of it. Now, can you make your own? Yes, absolutely. There's a whole bunch of random tables in there. You can roll up your own stuff. Um, you can either do that sort of as is, or you can use that as a basis for kind of making your own. Um, at the end of the day, it's a it's sort of a near cyberpunk crime thing. So as long as you're as long as that kind of story fits in your wheelhouse, I think people can make up their own stuff fairly easily. Yeah, and I think something too is not. Some of these games are not necessarily meant to be kind of long form campaigns. Like they, I feel like some of them, especially what you're saying about cyberpunk, are kind of meant to fill more of the role of like more of a game night where you sit down and you try to solve the crime, or like you know, when you've got like those escape room in a box or something like that, or you're you know, whatever that popular thing was that was going around YouTube ads for a while where it was like 17 crimes or something like that. Oh, wait, no, that's the that's the wine, I think. <laughs> but it was, it was, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of what it was, but it basically was like you get all of these crime files and you you figure them out like as a group, and I feel like this kind of occupies more of that role where it doesn't necessarily sound like there's a ton of, like, you can play yourself more than, like, you're building a huge backstory for your character, I feel like is more kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, it, I, it would be hard to imagine a 10-year-long campaign in Blade Runner. Right. It, it Because the focus is so narrow, I think that it could get a little old after a while. They've said that they their case file system, um, I forgot the name of it, Electric Dreams or something like that, um, there's going to be 12 cases in that whole arc. They've got a story arc that they want to cover. Oh, and I think it, I think it'd be really neat to go through those 12, maybe do some cases in between just to you know flex your own creative muscles. But then at the end of that, yeah, maybe set the game aside, put it on the shelf and play Alien for a while. Right. And something too is uh, what you were just saying is going back to what we were just talking about with Alien, the campaign, or I'm sorry, campaign, uh, cinematic books that they put out are not necessarily always just a xenomorph. 
which I was pleasantly surprised about going through some of them because I was like, all right, so we're just going to go. We're going to have the tropes of like, all right, here comes the xenomorph. Oh, it's stalking. And then it was something completely different. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Like, yeah. I was not expecting to run into this. And it's, but it still kept the themes. Like, it still felt like I, I could see this happening in an alien film, uh, especially because it, 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 it I, honestly, the one that we were playing reminded me a lot of Prometheus. I'm not going to say anything more yeah, than that but yeah they, no they, they, really they definitely they they have they have embraced uh prometheus as canon and they've yep. pulled elements out of prometheus and they made it work the the second cinematic is more is it more traditional i guess right and then the third one is super experimental and out there that's so, awesome yeah yeah i like that they're doing stuff like that i think that's great i think we can pivot off of free league a little bit unless they're am i missing any of their ip well, you is know, Twilight like, two thousand? No, that's not that's not might be. Well, it is. Uh, it, oh. it was developed by uh, GDW back in the nineties. I don't know who owns it now, but it's an established setting. You know, Tales gotcha. from the Loop is is technically licensed from Simon yeah. Stalinhag. 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 Yeah. yeah. I have all um, of his I, uh, paleo art all over all of my computers. He's like one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know, like you know, Dragon Bane. I think is a. Uh, that's an established setting, isn't it? But then you get into yeah, the weird things. Like, is is Forgotten Realms IP, or is that is it right. on, is it IP on the same scale as Middle Earth? Uh, you know, I don't. I know. think for the purposes of, of what we're talking about today, I mean more like it was a book or a movie first, and then an RPG was adapted out of it. I think just for to keep ourselves constrained and not going kind of off the wall too much. Gotcha. But yeah, I think I think um, Tales from the Loop is a good one because it was based on his art but then did the tv show come out before or after the rpg after after okay never mind then not really worth uh, talking about for these but i've heard the tales from the loop is very good but i'll say that about pretty much anything free league at this point <laughs> yes um the other and, one that i that i kind of like to touch on a little bit is um is goodman games you know with their dungeon oh. crawl classics they've they've done a dying earth setting and uh lankmar setting both of which are based on novels by prominent appendix n authors of course and both of those are really good examples of people that really care about the setting and have have gone through hoops to make it playable and fun and as close to the source material uh, as you can get. Yeah, I, I can't believe I totally forgot those. I've got those sitting on the shelf behind me and I completely forgot. But yeah, they're fantastic and they do a great job of the parts that are meant to be part of play are very true to the fiction in terms of wording and um, kind of the ridiculousness, especially of Dying Earth. It's kind of all over the place. But then the rules themselves, they kind of keep that in there with some of the naming conventions of titles and stuff like that. But the rules are very easy to pick up. And it's just fully based on Dundercrawl Classics um, to the point where I kind of want to take some of the classes out of Dying Earth and use them in my DCC games because right? they're yeah. very well done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they've got, uh, they've got interesting mechanics. They're, they're a really fun time. But yeah, Dying Earth and, and Lankmar, pick up any of that stuff you can, honestly. I think another one that has hit the news recently that's pretty good to talk about is also Matakuk Games's Old Gods of Appalachia. I think it is... I'm very curious to see how this one goes, let me put it that way, because Old Gods of Appalachia is an awesome 
podcast that's that's out there. It's like a horror anthology podcast. You can listen through it, and basically, it's it takes place in Appalachia and follows you know this family as they go throughout time. I think it spans like thirty years or so at this point, but. It's also something that I could see fitting very easily into a lot of systems. Um, if it was more of a source book, I'd find that actually way more interesting for this. But I'm curious to see how they they take over this uh, this podcast itself. Yeah, I would like to see. It would be neat to see more companies that would just make lore books. Right. You know, rather than needing to tie it to a system, and I, I get it. You know, if if it's just a lore book, then that's work that the that the GM has to do to make it playable. Right. But you know, just the being able to, I I got my my daughter a set of these books. Uh, she's really into Elder Scrolls and Skyrim, and and Perfect. there is a huge amount of just lore material that you can get <laughs> that. It, it's not related to the game at all. I mean, other than the the lore part, there's no game mechanics, anything like that. And I've you often looked at those. You are preaching to the choir. You I've often that. looked at those and, and thought, you know, how hard would it be to take this and adapt it to, you know, DCC or Cypher System or something? Of course. I think something, too, that's worth noting is maybe as a setting book isn't a good representation of what I would prefer because I, my opinion is that I prefer kind of you know more setting based instead of uh, like just another RPG system to be out there but what I think I mean more is that it's system agnostic rather than just a setting book so it talks about like this is their rough power level, this is their rough that, this is their rough that, and kind of gives you stuff to pull on that you can like then make the, the mental connection in your brain where you're like, oh, I can tie their toughness to my strength or something like that, and, and then build it into your system that way. Hot Springs Island does that fantastically, where it's it yeah. really just kind of gives you some rough elements about it, and then is like, this is kind of what we were thinking, put it into your system where the power level fits best. And I that's kind of more what I mean by what I would want out of a, a system agnostic setting. All right, and then I've got a few more that I want to talk about because some of them I'm not sure if you even knew about. So you, uh -oh. you, touched, on Star, <laughs> you touched on Star Wars already, which I think is great. Connor, you were looking into Star Wars, were you not? I was. Yeah, have you, have you gotten a chance to look through that really at all? Um, I really haven't, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm <laughs> Perfect. I've been so busy. So. No, Which it's, one it's were you looking at? Big investment of time. Um, Edge of the Empire. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he wants to do Edge of the Empire, and then we'd use Legos for all of our oh, like, sweet. minifigure stuff. Yeah, yeah no, if you, I've got, I don't know how many boxes of Star Wars Lego sets from my childhood that are sitting in my parents' basement somewhere. But Yeah, be awesome. that'll be a blast. I've heard very good things about Star Wars. Um, it seems to, from what I've heard, work best for kind of an arc rather than like a super long form campaign. Yeah. But I also could be talking out of my butt with that one because I've never actually played it. So, Will, do you have, have you played any of them? I, I've run it a bunch. I've played it a bunch. Um, I, I, I'm not sure about your statement, though, because I think running things in long arcs is, is the right way to run everything. Um, True. But I, I, I do like the Star Wars stuff. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not actually a big fan of the Star Wars setting and lore. Um, but from a system standpoint, uh, at least the, the um, Fantasy Flight stuff, um, I liked it a lot. It, you know, it was a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Yeah, have you, um, have you heard Ghostbusters, the RPG? Did you hear about that one? 
Yeah, from uh, West End Games. Yeah, did you ever give her give it a shot? Uh, I played in a one shot of that at a convention once. Perfect. It was so I, oh, I, it was okay. That's about kind of what I expected, especially because I had not even. I think I had heard of it in passing because I remember seeing being like, oh yeah, there was one of those. But the one that I had never heard of was. Do you know there was a Men in Black RPG? Yeah. Did you really? I had no clue. Didn't Did even you know, know that, that, that there was an RPG for uh, Dallas? The, the, I actually did know about that, yeah. 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 The uh, Vintage RPG podcast, they talked about it because they thought it was a hilarious kind of remnant from history. I, I've never seen it. Um, I'd like to because apparently it was made by people that didn't really understand what an RPG was. Um, right. So I, th- I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, I've just never been able to source a copy. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think kind of at this point we've given enough examples so that people know what we're talking about. Kind of broad strokes. Do you want to talk more about pros and cons of, you know, um, having it be its own? I guess let's say pros and cons of having it be its own system and just kind of have that be our, our main talking point. Um, y- yes. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of games that try to say something, that try to do something. I, I'm, I'm less a fan of generic everything fits kind of thing. I had a friend a long time ago who who swore up and down he could run any genre in any system. And it's like, you know, that's true, but is it good? You know, does it, it. Yeah. does it really work? And like like I mentioned, The One Ring is a, is a great example. You would not want to run Forgotten Realms with The One Ring because it wouldn't feel like Forgotten Realms. It's, it's Middle right. Earth and it feels like Middle Earth. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan in making... I'm a big fan of the using the system as a tool to make something that feels like what your objective is. Of course. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think... I think my biggest pro is being able to not... If you are able to make a system that doesn't just you know, use the world and also takes in the thematic parts of the uh, IP that you're working with, I think that's when you succeed. I think if you're just using it to, like, okay, we threw together this system, especially, you know, following all the stuff at at Wizards of the Coast, like, oh, we we, we decided to put this system into this thing that we're doing because we don't want to be associated with Wizards of the Coast now. And it's like, okay, but is your system good or are you just, you know taking any kind of originality out of it and just having people roll dice while they, you know, interact with this world. Um, I think that's probably where it starts losing me, if I'm honest. Well, and it making IP-based games seems to be uh, becoming more popular. So, yeah. like, you know, there, there's Traveler, which is a great sci-fi story, and there's Eclipse Phase, which is a great transhuman sci-fi, or system, not story great uh, uh, transhuman system but then there's also one for the expanse and for altered carbon right. and altered carbon was a great set of books it was a good-ish tv show but i've heard the game is really not that great you know because it doesn't yeah. do anything new all it does is maybe expand on the background a little bit you could take the thematic elements from altered carbon and do them in eclipse phase and they would work better so yeah, yeah. you know and, d- so- oh go ahead go sorry ahead. I was just gonna say sometimes it's it's just 
it seems like developers will be like, okay, well, we have to put a system in it. And it's like, no, you don't have to. That's like, and I think part of that comes from a number of these. Who Do you know who did Alter Carbon? What what company? I don't. The, the RPG. Yeah, no, I but don't know. What I've noticed is that some of these that come out of larger companies seem more money grabby to me than actually caring about what they're writing. Um, and I think that is, as these are becoming more prolific, what my big concern is, is, is okay, is this a money grab, or are these people actually caring about what they're doing? And I mean, for Free League, I've heard people be like, oh, they're just hitting all the IPs to get, like, the money out of it and stuff like that. But then they provide quite a lot of support after release. It's not like they're just dropping the book, taking the money, and, and going. It's like they made the RPG, they obviously cared about the fiction, and then they're going to keep supporting that and try to make it so that people have a decent chunk of stuff to do with the system, which I like. Yeah. I, you know, especially something like Middle Earth, that is an expensive right. license. Um, oh, yeah. You, you have to move a lot of copies of something to, to pay for that license. So looking at it from a money-grabbing standpoint, to me, it's just backwards. Money-grabbing to me would be you make up your own cheesy, half-assed, or a fantasy setting and put your system on it because now your your overhead is, is much lower. You know, right. you don't make Middle Earth games unless it's a, a labor of love. Of course. Yeah, that's a good that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about it like that. But oh, I guess you can go ahead and talk about what your your big con was that you're Okay. Yeah, so so there is a there is a dark downside to uh, to IP based games and I learned this the hard way with um, Marvel Heroic. So Margaret Weiss Publishing, for a while, they it seemed like everything they made was uh, IP-based. They had Supernatural, they had Battlestar Galactica, um, Firefly, Marvel Heroic, the Le uh, Leverage, which was based on the Leverage TV show, yep. and I yep. am forgetting one of them. Uh, I said Supernatural. Anyway, they had, it's like five or six different games that were all IP-based. And uh, as I said before, I, I bought pretty heavily into the, the Marvel Heroic stuff, backed a couple of the Kickstarters, and then they lost the license. And um, when they lost the license, it immediately, the doors slammed shut. They could no, their, their storefront went away, they could no longer sell anything. This was really when PDFs were starting to take off as a viable way of, of selling things, and the PDF store just immediately shut down. And PDFs are weird because you can't buy secondhand PDFs. So, right. you know, you cannot get a legal copy of, of Marvel Heroic uh, anymore. And their support forums shut down. It, it was like overnight, um, the, all of the support for this game died. And it became right, really, yeah. really hard to, to sort of suggest it as a... Um, as a game that we could play because it was so hard to, to source the material. And it wasn't that much longer after that, that that Margaret Weiss got out of gaming entirely. So Firefly and Leverage and Supernatural and Battlestar Galactica, all of these games just were immediately orphaned. Right. Um, whereas you look at something like Traveler, I can go onto the Far Futures website and I can get PDF copies of the game from 1977, you know, that right. I got started yeah. with. You, you can get first edition D&D stuff from Wizards. You can get this stuff in perpetuity, perpetuity, perpetuity. Yeah. 
perpendicular again. <laughs> but but uh, with the with the IP stuff, once that license is gone, it's it's gone. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it like that because, in terms of keeping the license paid for and owned, that's like a much higher overhead than just like keeping the lights on in a website where you just have a download server going or something like that. So, yeah, that's something I'd, I'd never really even considered. I guess part of that too comes from I'm I'm not super familiar with with licensing laws, so who knows too where it might be easier to do something. Well, I guess Call of Cthulhu kind of has a direct um, direct uh, agreement with the Lovecraft. Uh, well, a lot of the Lovecraft stuff is in public domain now. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, but they they've like licensed. They're, they've licensed the system, and so they're able to keep putting stuff out for Call of Cthulhu because they have their... Oh, I'm blanking on what it's called, but they use it for RuneQuest too. But it's it's very... Basic roleplay? Yeah. The, wow. You know, it's pretty basic, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they're able to keep doing that because they have the system, and, and the public domain is what kind of what I was going into, where there's, like... I mean, I can think of five Cthulhu-based role-playing systems that are out there off the top of my head and there's four of them sold next to each other in my local game store but it's almost like uh that's i'd still rather prefer that because i'd still like those things to be available so the, the public domain ones i feel like are a special case but if you do you have anything else you want to say will on, uh, um, on this topic no i mean that's the that's the biggest minus um I, I've sort of accepted, I, I mean, I guess you could look at it as a minus that if a game is really focused on one thing, you know, don't use Alien to run Star Trek games, you know, of that's, course. you're yeah. in for a bad day, but I, but I accept that downside. And so I don't, I don't really consider that a problem, but if Free League ever loses the Alien um, license and presumably somebody else will pick it up some other time, but it won't be this game. And I really like this game, and you know that's going to be a that's going to be a sad day when that license goes away. I agree. I agree. Well, if we don't have anything else, we'll move on over to just the tips. Oh, it's just the tip. Okay, and welcome to just the tips, everybody. Today, actually, will um, what you brought up about your daughter being super into the Skyrim lore and those books that they put out really is pretty closely related where do you find those normally just out of curiosity uh barnes and noble i mean yeah wait yeah barnes and noble is still open i was thinking borders barnes and noble yeah yep yeah and i think it's pretty easy to pick stuff up that might not necessarily be an rpg material but you can use in that way and so like a lot of times i mean i remember when i was a kid all the star wars books that were just everywhere and it's just like stuff about the world so you can just read more about it while you're waiting for the next movie to come out talking about some obscure ass like background character that then they give a bunch of lore to and stuff like that and i think just like looking for old promotional material for whatever ip you're working with like can really kind of supplement your games in a way where hey there might not be an rpg out about it but like here's all of this content basically yeah just easily pull from have you ever used stuff like that, like in your? Um, well, one of the things that I'm doing now that um, I'm a little excited about trying is sort of going out of my way to find. And it's funny that we we talk about IP stuff, but uh, uh, finding movies and TV shows and things like that. Um, I'm sort of ramping up to do some um, 
Feng Shui Hong Kong action movie stuff. And so I've oh, cool. started to make a list for my players of here are the movies that you should watch, here are the TV shows that you should watch. Um, one of the things that I really like that our friend Brendan LaSalle does is whenever you play in one of his games, he asks you, who is the actor that is playing your character in the movie? Yeah. And I've found that so that it, it's so easy to latch on to something um, when you've got a like an actor's face in your head. You know, it, it fills in so many details that, that wouldn't be there otherwise. Yeah, and speaking of Brendan real quick, just a quick plug for his Kickstarter that's up right now from Goodman Games for X-Crawl Classics, which is exactly what Will's talking about. Whenever he runs X-Crawl Classics, he asks us what actor is playing us because essentially it's it's in a dystopian future where dungeon crawling is televised and so you know they've they make all these stories and then he wants to know who would play it when they do a movie adaptation so yeah super so combine, fun combine dungeon crawling with with japanese game shows and you're most of the way there uh, yeah good. exactly and uh if, if any of you guys are interested in trying that out check out the goodman's <laughs> goodman games website where will and i will be running a bunch of demos on that in the coming weeks as well yep but perfect. All right, let's go on over to our. Uh, oh my God, what is the name of the segment, Connor? The the player stories. And so you do that. And so you do that. That's right. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh shit. And so you do that. All right. Now that I have remembered the name of the segment that we were talking about, Will, I think you have a. And so you do that for the day. So yeah. So I'm I'm running Alien for uh, Tristan and Duncan. Um, well, I was running it. It's it. It ended up sort of <laughs> accidentally on hiatus, which has just become silly. But um, talking about how Alien has this really, really great feel to it. It feels like a movie. Things are unexpected. They're unrelentingly violent. Um, in Alien, the xenomorphs are only sort of under the the GM's control. Uh, they actually have it's called a signature attack but when you when you run a Xeno in to do a thing you don't just decide what you're gonna do you you roll on a table and the table gives you like the like the Xenos aren't statted up like an NPC you know you don't fight one like you're gonna right. go and fight an ogre or something they, they are special in every sense of the word but they have these signature attacks and the attacks are violent um, just, just gross. So we were doing this session, and I don't, I, you know, I don't want to give any, really, any part of the cinematic away because it's, right. um, uh, it's a lot of good stuff, and there's some surprises. And if you haven't had a chance to play it, you should really play it. So between the Zeno signature attacks and the random critical uh, hits, <laughs> you can die in one round. And uh, what was kind of funny is when we were running, we had what three or four. Uh, People, maybe it was actually three people, but one person got whacked twice. Um, you know, they took on yeah. an NPC as a as a player character and then died again. And they were all from super gory headshots. It was yep. just the instant you get you get bopped in the head, your head explodes, boom, you're gone. And I really, I mean, it was funny. And then it became even more funny. It was funny because it happened to Tristan first, but. It, it, it became more funny over time because uh, we, we kept having all these players die. Not the players, the players' characters. The players are fine. I, they're fine. Um, we, I'm okay. We kept having these PCs die, but it, it was always these, these really gruesome headshots. Um, 
but what makes that what makes that great, I, I think, is is because of going back to what we were talking about earlier about games having feel and and trying to feel like the right. source material. Alien is a is a brutal, violent game, and it feels like it because that's what the source material is like. Um, Definitely. So yeah, and you're alive one second and then instantly dead and the next one, whoop, and it's like yeah. exactly at people in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, something I will say, too, is, is uh, Will mentioned that he runs this for Duncan and me and alluded to, you know, conflicting schedules, which I forgot to mention up top, but Duncan will be back soon. We just both have been traveling, and everybody's traveling, and the summer sucks, and we're, well, it's great, but it also sucks for gaming and recording a podcast, so that's why we've been a little bit touch and go as we try to figure out our schedules. We have one, maybe two sessions left, but it's been, like, we've been spinning our wheels for... It's got to be two months now. I think it's two trying months, to get yeah. these last couple sessions in. And it'll be we don't we don't want to go on. People keep being like, oh, just you know, do it without me. It's fine. You guys play it. And then we're like, no, we don't like. It's we want to have the culmination with everyone there. It's literally a session. Let's just get it done, kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, well, thank you for that story, Will. I, I really appreciate you filling in for that. And we will go on to the most important segment of our show, Connor's quote of the day time for the quote of the day all right connor what have you got for us today this one uh i said earlier there's no there's no punchline to this one it's a shorty it's relevant for the first time ever um and this is a quote from plato it says you can discover more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation oh that, might that be was a good one, one. maybe I the, like the that. only rpg relevant quote i've done so far yeah, it's not fast food this time. No, it's not. <laughs> so, Will, do you do? Uh, is there anything you want to say to the listeners before we we outro here? Um, I will actually just echo something you said a little while ago. X Crawl is amazing. You should totally back it. If you don't know if you should back it, come and play in a demo session with Tristan or I. Or there's a couple of us that are going to be doing it. But it'll give you a chance to try it out, uh, see if you like it before you buy it. But uh, Brendan's a good guy. It's a good game. Um, you know, play it. I think this episode will go up immediately before our first sessions, or it might be right after our, our first few sessions. But if you if you're listening to this the day it comes out, there'll definitely be spots open for you to to check out the system if you want to. But perfect. All right, everybody. Well, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it, and we will see you next whenever Duncan's back from his trip and we can record again. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Borrowed Knowledge Podcast. As a reminder, our hosts' views and opinions are their own and not representative of their employers or organizations with which they are affiliated. See you next week.